Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Sometimes it's not just the amount of time, but it's what we do with it that's important. And certainly in marriage, we've got those little moments when we can connect over everyday things, but it's good sometimes just to make time, to put time in the diary. It, it sounds a bit uh, prosaic, it sounds a bit, bit sort of structured, but sometimes we just have to do it. That's Catherine Hill describing some of the simple and very practical things you can do to have a great marriage. And it's something we all want. It's really not all that hard either. You'll hear more insights from Catherine today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I think it's unfortunate that in the Christian community, we sometimes communicate the wrong message about marriage. Uh, We tend to focus on the challenges and struggles that husbands and wives are going to face and how to overcome them. And it's all well-meaning, of course. We want to help couples, young couples especially, understand that great marriages don't happen by accident. You can't coast by on autopilot. You have to work on your relationship with your spouse. You must choose to love and sacrifice for each other on a daily basis. That's how a strong marriage is built. But what's often missing from our messaging is how wonderful and glorious marriage can be. That's God's design. He intended for you to experience joy and intimacy and a bonding together that's unlike any other relationship you'll experience on this earth. And that really is a beautiful thing when when you get to that point in your relationship. We want to share that kind of good news with you today, and we're talking to couples who are in a good place, not um, struggling and and thinking all is lost. Uh, If you are going through a crisis, reach out to us. We have a lot of resources here. That's right, John. We have many other broadcasts where we deal with the more serious problems and painful situations that husbands and wives experience. We hope you'll contact us if you're going through something like that. Uh, We're here to help you. But today, we've got more of an upbeat message, and we invited Catherine Hill to record a conversation about her book, If You Forget Everything Else, Remember This, Tips and Reminders for a Happy Marriage. And Jim, I was really uh, sad I couldn't make that yeah, trip and, and uh, join you for the interview. We should mention Catherine is a colleague of sorts, uh, the UK director for Care for the Family, which is kind of a sister ministry to focus on the family in Newport, South Wales. And Catherine speaks and writes extensively on family, marriage, and parenting topics. And here's how you began that conversation with her on Focus on the Family. Catherine, welcome to Focus on the Family. It is so good to be here. Uh, Before we start the conversation, describe some of the challenges you were seeing in your law practice, uh, and now you're doing family ministry. I don't know if that's good training or not so good training, being a past lawyer. It was good training, Jim. I think because I specialized in family law, so I saw firsthand, I think, the heartbreak of when family life hasn't turned out as people hoped it would. And so I think that gave me the passion to want to try and work and to help couples build strong relationships where possible. Now, your husband, Richard, is also an attorney, so I can only imagine who wins the arguments when you're talking. I do, always. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You're well-trained, right? Well, Chad, no, we do. Yes, when we were first going out, when we were first married, we would often get into that sort of sparring with words. He's probably quicker than I am, if really? I'm really honest. Oh, that's that. so sweet of you to say. That's I don't so know if that's true, but it's it sweet of you to is say. True, okay, any- describe your uh, wedding day to Richard and the unexpected weather, which you have 
kind of uh, used as an analogy to marriage. So we got married uh, and uh, on the wedding day we woke up and I remember seeing, I remember looking through the curtains and seeing this tiny uh, little bit of blue sky right through the window and being really excited because we had been, like every bride, I had been praying for uh, a sunny day. And then I drew the curtains back and there were loads of grey clouds. And then throughout the day we had every bit of uh, British weather imaginable. So, so did it rain on your reception? It didn't rain on the reception. It rained when we were in the church but then a rainbow came through the stained glass window oh, caused nice. my mother-in-law to cry that was very <laughs> lovely but then it was windy and sunny for the reception uh, and then when we left it snowed now <laughs> so i was now, wearing i was wearing a little thin cotton suit and it was oh very cold i don't mean to be cheeky here but you sure your mother-in-law was crying for the, because of the rainbow she <laughs> I just thought you might want to check that with her, but no, that's good. Um, all right, you, ex- in the book, you stress paying attention to the little things, which for me as a husband, and we're, you know, with a lot of guys and their wives in this room, stressing the little things can be exhausting. And, you know, it, it can be tough, and we tend to avoid stressing the little things. So what do you mean by stressing the little things, and how do we encourage each other to do that? Well, so often, I think, when we are speaking at Care for the Family on the subject of marriage, it seems so simple. It seems that we're just talking about uh, the little things, how we talk to each other, paying attention to each other, uh, what it really looks like to cherish each other. Um, But those are the things that, if we do pay attention to them, those are the things that really fuel a marriage. So when you're talking to couples, what do you hear from both wives and husbands in this area of trying to pay attention to the little things. When do they do it well and where does it fall apart? So often, I think, in marriage, we end up taking each other for granted. It's easy in those first few years when we're madly in love, but then routine sets in and we slip into something we often call parallel living. And that that happened to us in our marriage. So I was at home at that stage with our four children, and Richard, my husband, was building his office, and our two worlds were very, very different. So mine was all about the school run and the lost hamster and the re. reading books and all the things of family life. And his was about building an office and uh, the bottom line of the accounts and uh, all the things that go to, towards office life. And we literally stopped paying attention and being interested in each other's world and began to drift apart and did that parallel living. And part of that is you you kind of reacquainted each other with your hobbies. I mean, which I found really interesting, especially the hobby that Richard had and your willingness to embrace it. Explain for both of you what your hobbies are and then how you each decided, okay, even though it drives me crazy, I'll do this. Well, so often in the early years of marriage, it's easy to be interested in what the other person is interested in. And so it's really good if you hit tough times to go back and remember what those things were. So I would love going to nice coffee shops. I'd like going to nice art galleries. Uh, Richard didn't really know a painting if he saw one, didn't really (laughs) like coffee, but he would make the effort. And I actually thought he was interested in those things. But then 
on the other foot, uh, he was building a kit car at the time when we were first going out. Now we're talking. And I spent lots of weekends. He was living in Birmingham, which is about an hour away from where I lived. And so um, every weekend I would drive up there and all Saturday would be spent either traipsing around these cold scrapyards, looking at these bits of metal that went into the uh, engine cluster. And I, it smelled horrible and it was cold. <laughs> but I pretended, I pretended I loved it. And actually, I just loved it because I wanted to be with him. So we tried to remember what were those things. Thankfully, he didn't then go and build another kit car. But we tried to be interested in each other's worlds. And I think that's a good lesson. Okay, let me ask you, are you still doing that today? How long, how many years have you been married? We have been married 34 years. Okay, we've been married 32. So are you doing that still? Do you get interested in what he's doing, even though it drives you crazy? We try to, but so (laughs) often we get it wrong. But When we get it wrong now, I think we know what we have to do and we have to try and remember. But I think the busyness of life just creeps in. Our kids have left home now and I think that's very often what can happen is we've just been talking about them and the arrangements and who's taking who to football and suddenly they're not there and we look at each other and think, what are we going to be talking about? Well, and it's really important that you continue to develop your relationship. I mean, in the U.S. at least, the, uh, the fastest growing divorce rate is amongst empty nesters because typically uh, the wife, the mom, says, you know, I, I don't know you anymore. That's and exactly. that's what you're saying. Don't be caught in that trap. I love a quote from your book. You said, one of the greatest gifts you can give your spouse is to be that person in their lives who will ask how they're doing and then wait to hear the answer. That's, I'm not good at that. Let me just put it that way. I think one thing we're all bad at is interrupting. I think the average person listens for something like 17 seconds before interrupting. That long? Well, maybe not that long. I think my, I'm probably more like five. Um, but what, we, what I do anyway, I'm trying to construct my reply. I'm trying to think of something to say back and not really, really listening to okay, what they're saying. We got to get into this because this is a total gender thing. So with Jean and I, I call it interactive listening. You know, so she's telling me something that is really important to her and I'll begin to clarify things. Right. I think that's interactive. I'm engaging. It drives her crazy. So why, why is that? I'm saying, no, you know, what color was it? How was, would you not interrupt me? Well, there's interrupting like that because probably she was going to say something different maybe. And also I think a common thing certainly in our marriage is Richard, my husband, wants to fix the problem. That's and very actually, common. all I want to do is talk about it. So, What does that sound like? Uh, you know, he wants to fix the problem. Give me that dialogue. So I'll come in and I'll say there was this really difficult situation at work today and this person did X and this other person said Y and I don't really know you know, what, what can I do about it? Oh, you should and go to X and tell him this. Well, exactly. Is that what he says? He will. He'll give me some advice, and that's okay. But then the next night, I'll say the same thing again, and he'll say, but I thought I told you what to do. And actually, I didn't need to tell him what to do. Um, I just wanted him to listen. So is he doing better at that? He's pretty good. Oh, that's good. All right. Um, you believe married couples can learn from Winston Churchill. That's pretty good. Now, you're British, of course. Winston Churchill is a hero of both the U.S. and Britain. Uh, Why should we listen to Winston Churchill on the issue of marriage? Well, 
during the war, when he must have been super, super busy, um, he was often away, and there are a series of letters that you can still see today that he wrote to his wife, Clementine, uh, just keeping in contact, telling her about the little things that he'd been doing, talking about his feelings, telling her that, um, that he loved her. But just the effort. Today, we can do that more easily. We can send a text message. We can uh, keep in contact more easily. But he would get the pen out and actually write these letters. Okay, you mentioned that active listening in that kind of dialogue between a husband and wife involves eye contact. Gosh, I'm just confessing all my weaknesses. I'm not sure I do that very well either. So why is that important? Do I really have to look? Well, I was at a party with somebody recently, and I was wearing um, quite a nice scarf, and I thought that they were looking at that, and then we were chatting, and then I realized they were not looking at my scarf. They were actually looking at someone more interesting over my left shoulder. (laughs) And I think all of us have been in that situation where we've not been listened to, and it makes us feel that we're not valued. It makes us feel that we're not important. And so listening with your eyes gives that person person, that huge sense of value and love and care. And so if we can do that, and it is hard uh, because there's often more interesting things maybe to be looking at. Maybe, you know, you're reading the, reading an article in the paper or something. Right. But actually just giving that eye contact uh, gives sends an incredible message. Okay, I'm going to work on that one. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Catherine, you use uh, STOP as an acronym for us to remember four key things. So how does it work? What does STOP stand for? Well, we often use this when we're talking to new parents because when someone's just had a little baby, the whole marriage relationship changes. And this is a really good one for any couple to remember, not just new parents. And so S, S stands for scoring points. So these are four (laughs) things that we shouldn't do. Okay, don't score points. Don't score points. So that's like they say, you did that. And you say, well, you did that. Well, you did that. And then up it goes and the whole thing escalates. Let's just take a little poll. We're here in front of you know, 16, 17 couples. How many people in here understand the scoring point mechanism in marriage? Oh, how many people are liars? <laughs> okay, let me see. About, about a third of the group put their hand up. Thank you for being honest. All right. 
What's the next one? T is thinking the worst. So that's when maybe your husband brings you a beautiful bunch of flowers and you think, oh, what's he done wrong? Rather than just saying, how lovely. So how do we clarify that? What kind of, what mechanism do we use to not trigger each other? Well, there's a really good little phrase to use, which is, what do you really mean? <laughs> That's good. So really asking what's behind the issue, not just taking it at face value. So don't go right to the concern of the, what feels like threat. Exactly. What are you really covering up here? Well, or just saying, uh, just really, I think, believing the best. Believing the best about, That's good. about them. So we've covered S&T, but we need to cover O&P. So what does O&P stand for? So O is opting out. So that's when someone withdraws, when they don't engage with the um, discussion or argument, uh, and they just bury everything and try and push it under the carpet. And that's now, some a- people might think that's a good coping skill. No, Speak I- to that person that is justifying that. So that's not a good coping skill because the other person doesn't, sometimes doesn't even know um, that there's an issue. And it's much better to get things out into the open, to be able to say why we're upset, if we are, and then together to be able to deal with it. That's O. What about P? So P is for put down, putting down. So it's when you make the other person um, feel inferior. And it could be verbally, could be by calling them names, making it a bit personal. But also it could just be by body language. So raising your eyes, putting your hands on your hips, sighing, that sort of thing. And none of those things are a good way to resolve conflict. So Mm. scoring points, thinking the worst, opting out and putting down. All right. Um... I've always believed that compromise is a good thing. It's a good strategy for avoiding conflict in marriage. I mean, that's what it's about. Even the scripture says to husbands particularly, lay your life down for your wife. That's the ultimate compromise. Why are you cautious about compromise? I think compromise is a really good tool, and it can get us out of some uh, difficult situations. But ultimately, what can happen is one or the other is the one who always ends up giving in, and you end up with not the best. And so what we talk about instead is finding the third way. So finding something that is a a bit of him and a bit of you, and finding a different solution that you're both really happy with. Okay, so for the men who are thinking, you know, it's good to win. It's good to give direction. It's good to lead. But in that context, um, how do we lay that down to say it's not about winning, it's not a zero-sum game? Well, I think sometimes we can say it's worth uh, losing the argument uh, just for the sake of the relationship, for the sake of the marriage. But the best advice is to remember you're on the same side. So this isn't about uh, one of you pitching against the other, but this is about being on the same side and then putting the issue out in front of you and trying to work at it together. It sounds easy to say like this, but actually... uh, in practice, it is more difficult, but that's a really good thing mm. to have in mind. Catherine, let's uh, use a positive example. You talk about the third way. So what's an example of accomplishing this in the third way? Well, I have a colleague uh, that we work with at Care for the Family, and he has a great example of this with his wife. So they were decorating their house. Now, lots of 
couples wouldn't think decorating was a big deal, but he really does. And uh, he, he cares a lot about what the house is like, and so does she. But they have completely different styles. So she likes everything to be floral and roses and vines and creepers and billions of cushions. And he <laughs> is much more uh, chic, minimal, black, white, chrome, those kind of things. Sounds like a marriage made in heaven. Well, they tried decorating and uh, there was a big argument. And then she said, <laughs> honey, you can do. I will let you do the first room. So uh, he thought, my wife is an angel. I will. And it was the spare room. So he decorated the spare room in his style, black, white, chrome, minimal. And then he realized that he had been outmaneuvered because she then said, well, as you've done the spare room, it's only fair that I do our bedroom. And so he talks about this bedroom now that is pink and floral and fluffy and cushions. And it's very funny. He said, uh, I was lying in bed and didn't know whether to go to sleep or do the pruning. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they, they carried on like this, decorating their home, your way, my way, your way, my way, until they found that this house had an odd number of rooms. And so they didn't know what to do, and they decided to try and combine both of their styles. And he said, having done that, and it took work and it was hard and they had to tussle it out, but it is now the best room in the house. And in fact, they've gone back and decorated the rest of the house and they call it floral minimalism. <laughs> so it worked for them. <laughs> it worked for them. But you can apply that to everything. You can apply that to how you bring up your children. You can apply that to um, your recreation time together. You can apply it to how you spend your money. All different issues apply yeah. that third way. You know, one of, the, one of the things, and I'm sure both you and Richard as attorneys have seen this, um, the choices people make in marriage, uh, the way they either build each other up or tear each other down. First of all, why do we lean, some of us will lean toward sarcasm or tearing one another down. It's part of, especially for men, it's part of the way we communicate and we think it's fun. Um, but sometimes it's not so fun for our spouses. So, you know, in that context, how do we become more mindful and, and better with our hearts? Well, I think words are really, really powerful. Um, in the book of Proverbs, it says that our words have the power of life and death. And we can literally be speaking life into our spouse by the words that we speak. Mm -hmm. But... I think people don't often realize that. And for some people, words are more impactful than others. For me, words are very impactful. Richard less so. And he is quick and quite witty with his words. And there was one time, it was my birthday, and we had been out to a restaurant with another couple. And they arrived with a gift and with a card. And this card, they had written all down one side really lovely things about me, completely over the top, but it made me feel a million dollars. I oh, picked yeah. it up and I read it. And then he uh, leant over the table and he picked it up and he said, guys, it's only Catherine. And at that moment, my little birthday balloon popped and it wasn't such a fun evening anymore and he had thought it was just a fun comment mm -hmm. um i should preface it to say that he he often says really great things about me in public so this wasn't what he but nevertheless it was really helpful that's a so, real life well, scenario we, we so got home cool. and um we sorted it out as they say um but actually, it was such a lesson to us in how just what sounds like a fun, quick comment um, can actually be really hurtful. So I think being mindful of the power of our words. So how, how did you bring that up with Richard when you got back home? 
I think he knew straight away. <laughs> okay, so you were giving the vibe that you weren't I happy. I was giving the vibe. So, that I was so happy. then again, how do you enter into that conflict moment in a way that's productive and not destructive? So my natural way of dealing with conflict, because of the way I was brought up, I was brought up in a home where I didn't see conflict ever resolved. It was all pushed under the carpet. And I honestly thought that was the way to deal with it. And so I used to do that. I used to never deal with it properly. I would just sulk or hold a grudge. And it was only when I understood that actually doing that is just as harmful to a relationship as somebody who um, says it as it is and who is a bit more sort of on the front foot, really, with, with how they are expressing their annoyance with their spouse, that neither of those are a good way of resolving it. And actually, it's healthier to be able to get it out into the open. You know, the Christian overlay to all this, some of us can believe that taking it or being quiet about it is actually spiritually good to do. But you're, you're saying it's not. There's lots of research about this, about what's called the negativity threshold. It's a bit of a mouthful. But what it means is that some people um, have a high and some people have a low negativity threshold. And if you have a high negativity threshold, it means you can take loads of stuff and you just take it all on board and you absorb it. But then one day there will probably be an almighty explosion. Whereas low negativity threshold means people deal with stuff quickly and um, they don't let it harbor. Mm. And I do think you're right. I think that sometimes in the Christian community um, that we can think that we're doing a good thing by not reacting. But the healthy way is to put it out in front of us, not make it personal. Lots of little tips on how not to do that and then deal with it together. Catherine, this has been so good. We need to come back next time, pick up the conversation and provide more insights on how to communicate uh, in a more healthy way in your marriage. Can we do that? We certainly can. Well, we do hope you're going to make plans now to join us for part two of Jim's conversation with Catherine Hill talking about her book, If You Forget Everything Else, Remember This, Tips and Reminders for a Happy Marriage. Catherine offers a lot of practical help and hope for couples, and these are simple yet important reminders about how to communicate better, offer grace and acceptance to your spouse in a better way, and find common ground in your marriage. And I can't think of a better how-to resource, and it works for every situation, whether you're engaged, a newlywed, or even if you've been married 20 or 30 years like me. This book will benefit you, and I'll admit that there are some things I still need to learn about being a good husband, and I'm sure we could all use a refresher course now and then. So contact us today about getting Catherine book. And if you sign up to make a monthly pledge, which really helps us of any amount, uh, we will say thank you by sending a copy out to you right away. Even a one-time gift will work. Anything you can do to stand with us in supporting and strengthening and saving marriages is greatly appreciated. It really is. And in addition to Catherine's book, we also have an audio copy of the entire conversation with her. We'll include next time's broadcast as well. Check out our free marriage assessment online. It really is easy and quickly gives you and your spouse a good overview of what's working well and what you might want to look at as, as far as uh, opportunities to improve. Some good talking points on that. Again, it's the free marriage assessment and it's available online. Details about these resources and uh, ways to donate at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or when you call 800 800- 
the letter A and the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to HopeRestored.com today. Today on Focus on the Family, we'll share more insights about how to move your marriage from good to great. And our guest is Catherine Hill. She has some simple strategies and tips like this, which can transform the relationship with your spouse. I think compromise is a really good tool and it can get us out of some uh, difficult situations. But ultimately what can happen is one or the other is the one who always ends up giving in and you end up with not the best. And so what we talk about instead is finding the third way. So finding something that is a a bit of him and a bit of you and finding a different solution that you're both really happy with. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, last time we featured a wonderful conversation that I recorded with our guests during a trip to Scotland. If you missed the first part of that, uh, contact us uh, to get a copy or a download, or by podcast, uh, you can find that episode. You won't be disappointed. And we mentioned last time that Catherine Hill is one of the leaders of Care for the Family, a sister organization to focus on the family. They offer Bible-based advice and encouragement to families in the United Kingdom. Uh, she's an author and speaker and former attorney who saw firsthand the devastation of broken marriages and broken families. So today, she's working to strengthen and encourage families in the context of marriage and parenting. And we are thrilled to have her as a guest again today on the broadcast. And you recorded this interview with a live audience of some focused friends uh, in the room, and we're going to hear from a few of them later on in this recording. Right now, here's part two of the conversation Jim had with Catherine Hill on Focus on the Family. Catherine, welcome back. Thank you. It's so good to be with you, and I love this book. If you forget everything else, remember this. And what would be the main point you're trying to get to? Oh, there's lots. Well, the idea of the book was to have lots of uh, short chapters with memorable headings. So in the busyness of life, you could just bring one thing to mind, a bit like the book of Proverbs. Just remember one thing and then put that into practice in your marriage. But if I had to choose one, I would probably say that love is a choice. So on our wedding day, we promise to love the other person for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health. And just remembering that that actually we need to make that promise and remember that every day. Especially when there's dirty socks everywhere, right? And wet towels on the floor. (laughs) And wet towels on the floor. I do want to mention the busyness side because I think here at Focus on the Family, a lot of couples will contact us, and that's one of the pet peeves for either one of them. 
Speak to the busyness of life and how do we adjust that so we're healthier as a couple, even though life is busy? Well, I think most of us are busy. There are maybe a few people that have a lot of time on their hands, but I think generally um, people live in a in the fast lane and we're busy. Maybe we are working outside the home and we're trying to bring up kids and we're trying to work at our marriage. Um, There's just more and more things to do. And I think it's compounded by the digital age. So 24 seven now through the smartphone in your pocket, uh, we are connected to more people than ever before, but actually Sometimes the people that we're closest to, um, we don't spend that time actually communicating. You know, in in the UK, like in the US, the amount of time that couples spend communicating deeply together is far less than 30 minutes a day. I mean, in some cases, some studies show three to four minutes a day. You can't survive on that, can you? You can't, you know, someone run out to work in the morning, grabbing a piece of toast on the way and then come in late in the evening, busy at night. I think if we're involved in church activity as well, um, that can also take its toll. And then we end up burning the candle at both ends and not having enough time for each other. In fact, I remember being uh, on holiday years ago now when our children were little and we were in a cottage and the other side of the cottage, another couple had uh, were also on holiday and they both had really busy jobs. They worked in the media and they had children. And I remember the wife saying to me, Catherine, uh, don't do what we've done. We've both had busy jobs. We've both tried to have everything and do everything. And we found when we get home in the evening, we haven't got time for each other. And I've never forgotten that. Catherine, you have a poem in your book, which this is the perfect spot for you to read this to us. It gripped my heart. Uh, share it with us. It's all about the um, how much we value time. And uh, it says this, to know the value of one month, ask the mother of a premature baby. To know the value of a week, ask the writer of a weekly blog. To know the value of a day, ask the dad who sees his children on Saturdays. To know the value of an hour, ask the young man waiting for his fiancée to call. To know the value of a minute, ask the teenager who just missed the last bus home. To know the value of a second, ask the driver who just avoided the accident. And to know the value of a millisecond, ask the athlete who won the silver medal. Those are good perspectives. Those are all special insights, right? They are. And I think it also conveys the fact that sometimes it's not just the amount of time, but it's what we do with it that's important. And certainly in marriage, we've got those little moments when we can connect over everyday things. But it's good sometimes just to make time, to put time in the diary. It it sounds a bit uh, prosaic. It sounds a bit, bit sort of structured, but sometimes we just have to do it. I like that. Let's turn a corner and speak to the issue of friendship. Uh, At least in the U.S., I'm assuming it's similar in the U.K. Uh, We don't really know our neighbors sometimes. You know, you hit the garage door button, you go in, you do family, you go to work, you come home, hit that same garage door button. You might wave. And if they need you, they might call for something and vice versa. But you speak to the need of marriages in order to be healthy, that you need intimate friends who can do life with you speak to that that has been one lesson that we have really learned throughout our marriage um i think marriage is too hard to do it on our own we need friends around us who so why are we secretive about it 
Why do we avoid those relationships where they can speak into our lives? Well, it takes courage, I think, to be vulnerable. So we have um, one other couple, and we didn't plan it particularly. It's just happened. We're not particularly similar, but we meet up with them once a fortnight. We have a meal. um, We laugh together. Sometimes we cry together. We pray together. And I know that they have got our back, and we have got theirs. And they have saved us, I know, from... Uh, slipping up, particularly in relation to marriage. So I remember one evening and we were, Richard and I were being a bit irritable with each other and um, Silas, the other guy, he just leant across the table and he said, uh, guys, are you spending enough time together? And we weren't, but it took him to speak into our marriage and for us to be vulnerable enough to let him uh, that made all the difference. I mean, this sounds very practical, but how do you have that conversation? What do you say to them? Listen, we want you to be able to speak into our lives. So if you notice something that can be really dicey because some people won't manage that well. How did you set that up? Well, I think for us, it grew organically. So we didn't plan it. It just happened. And um, the other couple had an issue that they needed some help with. We were able to help them, and it grew from there. But we spend quite a lot of time with some young couples from our church, those who are in their 20s and 30s, been married for less than five years. And one of the things we say to them is, do this. Try and find um, another married couple that you can spend time with. And they always say that. Well, how do we do it? And what if we ask them and they say no and all this? But honestly, it's just find another couple that... They don't have to be your best friends, someone that you trust, someone that you like, someone that you want to spend some time with. And you don't have to bear your soul overnight. It can just grow gradually. Yeah. Organically is good. Yes. Rather than uh, prescriptive. Exactly. Okay, good. Catherine, you encourage couples to have a shared vision. And people listening now, some are saying, I don't even, what do you mean? Well, again, when couples are first married, sometimes in marriage preparation, we'll say to them, what are going to be your priorities in your marriage? You've got each other. You've got your relationship with friends. You might have children. uh, You've got your relationship with God. So what order are you going to put those in? What things are going to come first? And we encourage couples to do that. And then it's really building on that. And uh, I think couples can just sit down and think and pray and say, what is it in our marriage that we can do that is bigger than the sum of the two of us? So an example for you and Richard, what would that look like? Well, an easy example for us would be the stuff that we do in relation to coming alongside other married couples and families. We both have a passion for relationships. We both have a passion to see family life strengthened. And so that's one thing that works for us. And we open our home. Um, We have lots of people who come through. We particularly at the moment um, feel quite passionate about inputting the lives of the 20s and 30s who are just starting off. So that for us has been something, but it could be anything. It doesn't have to be related to anything like that at all it could be you know that you you love to it could be a serving thing Um, I think a really good thing if you don't know where to start is to uh, sit down pray together ask other people uh, what are the things that you see God wants to do in us and through us um, in our marriage and then just make some baby steps to begin that but having that vision that's that's bigger than the sum of the two of you I think not only benefits Uh, the people that you're going to help, but also strengthens your own relationship. That's a good piece of advice. So your vision can be born out of your passion as a couple. And it might be possible that 
couples have not even talked about that. What is our passion? And it might be that they have very different passions, and in which case um, they need to just think about that. But I think just having that idea that our marriage is bigger than just the two of us and that God has purposes for us. That's a great statement. Transitions, you've mentioned them, the birth of your first child. Gene and I are at that point where our oldest is leaving the house, and that's big. Speak to the issues of transition and how we cope with them. Yes, so our four left home, and we navigated that season of transition, and then they came back again. So, um, But now they've left again. So I think that very often um, we, we don't do this very well, mainly because we haven't done the, uh, the groundwork early on. And it's being flexible, and it's being prepared to change, and it's being able to just see how we can meet each other's needs. And there's a lovely story of um, a lady who talked about going out for a walk with her husband and how he slowed his step down for hers because her knees have got a bit arthritic these days, and he needs a bit more time when he goes home, so she knows to allow him that. But I think... So it's, it's looking at the adjustments that we have to make as we enter the different seasons of marriage. There's an African proverb, and it says, as the music changes, so does the dance. And it's thinking ahead and investing in the relationship now and keeping communicating about how that season has changed. So in that experience that you've had with couples that become empty nesters and with the amount of drama in couples that are becoming empty nesters, what are two or three things that we should do to guard ourselves from losing each other emotionally? I think spending time together, having fun and laughing together. Laughter, the Bible says a cheerful heart is good medicine. And I think finding things that make us laugh, um, that draw us together. Sometimes thinking about what were the things we used to do um, before the kids left home and trying to build that into our marriage and spending that time together but talking about how we feel so maybe when a child leaves home often I think um, it's the wife finds it a more difficult thing sometimes than the husband because she's been more involved in the day-to-day care and the arrangements now it could of course be the other way around but allowing for that and allowing yourself to grieve if you need to as you move on to a new season yeah in that regard you know so many men and again This just is the way things are, and I know if you disagree with me, write us, call us, email us, but men tend to look for significance in our vocation, our title, what we do, and I think for many, many women, their relationship with their children and that transition to emptiness, this is, you know, this is their mark of significance, and this is what they've been doing for 18, 19 years, maybe 20, 30 years if they have three or four children, and it's hard to just end that. What would you say specifically to mothers about how to transition in a healthy way? I think that often as mothers, our identity is in as being a mum, particularly if we have invested in that a long time over a good number of years. And it can be a similar transition if we've been working and then we stop work because we've had children at home or even juggling work and children. And I think understanding, uh, allowing ourselves time and space to realize that this is a difficult thing, not trying to pretend it's all all right, but then I think ultimately realizing that our identity isn't in what we do, it's in who we are. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Want more encouragement for your marriage? 
Look no further than Loving Well, a podcast dedicated to helping you and your spouse build a healthy marriage the way that God intended. Listen at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell or wherever you get your podcasts. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let's turn to the audience here. Let's uh, do a, a quick Q&A with a couple of people. Let's three or four of you, if you have a question, let's get those. And this has been so good here in Edinburgh. What a wonderful setting in Scotland. Thanks for making the effort to be here. No, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm loving it. Well, I'm George from Clearwater, Florida. And um, what coping skills can you give couples that are facing retirement? You talk a lot about other uh, areas and, and times of life, but you haven't mentioned retirement and, and facing retirement. It's good. That's a really good question. I think uh, one of the things is to give each other space uh, to um, adjust to the fact that this is a new season and we all change. Someone once said that um, we're married to several different people during the course of our marriage. And Meaning what they one meant person. by that, yeah, one <laughs> person, but that they change. And the season of retirement, if you've been out of the house and, um, and busy, suddenly you're both in the house, maybe getting a bit irritated because you're under each other's feet. And I think it's about finding new patterns and new ways of doing things and recognizing that it might be a bit lumpy to start with, but you will get there, particularly if you keep communicating and talking about what you need. What about that balance between pursuing your own interests in retirement and then combining things? Should you have as a spouse kind of an open heart and mind to let maybe your husband do some things that doesn't involve you? I think that's probably right. Uh, we're at a golf course here in Edinburgh. <laughs> I once said to my husband that I thought I should take up golf so I could play with him when he retired. And he didn't think that was a very good idea. So I haven't as yet, but sometimes that I think we need the mixture of both. We do need our own space yeah. as well as being able to do things I'll call together. Richard and help on that one. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. I'm Michelle from Dove Canyon, California. And um, I was wondering, how do you find that passion um, activity together? Maybe you've volunteered together already, you've served together, hosted Bible studies, but what about that next phase? Well, I think one thing is not to be too idealistic about it. I don't think every couple will suddenly find this incredibly amazing thing that they're both passionate about. Um, although I think having a, a joint purpose is really good. And I think try things out. Uh, if you, you try something and if it doesn't work, then... Um, we often say you try something new and then if it doesn't work, you go back to what wasn't working before. But, right. um, but I think ask friends as well. Join in with friends and do things. And it's, I think this thing about what are the things that you both enjoy starting there and building from there and looking for opportunities, praying for opportunities that, that might come your way. You, you said earlier in the, in the broadcast that curiosity factor. This is where you need to keep curiosity going. So if something's not 
meeting that need, you try something new, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Mm. Um, and discovering maybe skills and passions that we didn't know we had, or we certainly didn't know our husband or, or wife had. Mm. I'm Michael from Pennsylvania. I've been married for 50 years. Congratulations. And, um, yeah, that's great. Uh, males and females have different perspectives. I'd like to know your perspective on what resolving conflict looks like. Males seem to enjoy fixing things. From the female's perspective, what does resolving conflict look like to you? <laughs> processing it. <laughs> well, I think, I think processing it. I, I don't know. I think people have different um, yeah. ways of approaching conflict. And probably there are some gender stereotypes within that as well. But for me personally, um, I actually don't really like conflict. Um, but I... I really don't like unresolved conflict. So I will go to places and I will be brave in order to make sure that it's resolved because I really hate it when it is unresolved. Uh, so, But for me, it will be processing it. I'm an external processor. So for me, it will be talking about it. My husband is an internal processor. So he'll do most of his thinking in his head. And his first thing that he says is probably uh, the thing that he won't change his mind on. Whereas I go all around the houses and back again because I work it all out <laughs> right. externally. So I think taking those personal personalities into account uh, as well but for me working through the process and getting to the place where either we agree to disagree or the issue is resolved you know you're describing something that has always fascinated me why we tend as opposites to attract to each other I mean you and Richard you just described that right it's very common that we possess different ways of processing right why did God do it that way well I think just to keep us working at things, maybe. I don't know. That's one question maybe I will ask him. I mean, it is uh, a, it's, it's kind of his sense of humor, I think, right? I'm going to well, put two people that don't think alike together. They're going to be attracted to each other. I think so we become more like him, which is selfless. So. I'm sure that is right. There's, we're, we're attracted, actually, to people who think the same as us on the big issues, right. but often we're attracted to someone who is the opposite of us. Correct. So if we are really disorganized, then we're attracted to someone who likes planning. Uh, if we are spontaneous, we, uh, we are attracted to somebody who's not. But At what, least for a few weeks. For a few weeks. I was going to say, because what <laughs> happened is then that that very thing can start to annoy us and become an irritation. Exactly. Uh, you conclude your book with a wonderful story about a taxi cab driver and his wife who had been happily married for 35 years, but then something happened and it challenged that relationship. What yeah, happened? I was I was driving through London in this taxi and the guy just told me um, about his marriage. So he had been married for 35 years. He said their marriage had had all the usual ups and downs of married life. And then one day his wife went to the bathroom in the, in the night and she slipped and she fell. And then the next day she went into the supermarket and she went to reach a tin from the shelf and it slipped out of her hand. And things carried on and she went to the doctor and she was told that she had a degenerative disease that was affecting her muscles. And the doctor said to her, you must do some weight-bearing exercise. And so she tried to put that into practice and she bought an exercise bike, but that didn't really work. Um, she joined a gym, but that was too difficult. And then one day through their letterbox came a flyer advertising ballroom dancing classes and they decided to give it a go. 
And he said they went along and they really enjoyed it. He said, we weren't, we weren't particularly good, but it was really <laughs> fun. And then one evening they were sitting down and having a cup of tea. And he looked up and he said to her, um, what is it, he said, about this, about the dancing? You tried the exercise bike and that didn't work. The gym didn't work. What is it about the dancing? And she just looked at him and she said, don't you know? Because I do. It's because you're holding me. Mm. And I thought that was just such a beautiful description of marriage. One person being there for the other through the good times, through the bad times. Um, and that's that phrase, yeah. you're holding me. It's both what we crave and what we want to, I think, provide if you're healthy, right? Uh, absolutely. Catherine, this has been so good. Thank you for writing the book, and thank you for being with us here in Edinburgh, Scotland. It's wonderful to be in your neck of the woods. Well, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you. This is Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, and we just heard the conclusion of a really wonderful two-part conversation Jim had with Catherine Hill, who's written a very practical book for husbands and wives called If You Forget Everything Else, Remember This... Tips and Reminders for a Happy Marriage. Uh, John, I hope our listeners will embrace these ideas and uh, recommendations that Catherine has described these past two days. There's nothing complicated here. These are simple, practical ways to uh, reconnect with your spouse and grow together during a lifetime of marriage. And, you know, we hear from a lot of men and women who have experienced uh, a drift in their relationship where they've let the busyness of life or other distractions pull them away from their spouse. And that is understandable. It's normal. It's modernity. Don't let that happen, though, to your marriage. Be intentional about making your spouse a priority and ask the Lord to help you with that. And remember, Focus on the Family is a resource for you, and you can count on us. Uh, we will give you the encouragement and advice that you need for your family. I want to recommend you contact us today about Catherine's book and the other tools we have to strengthen and support your marriage. In addition to the book, we also have the audio from this two-day broadcast and a link to our free online marriage assessment, which is a great tool. I think it's like a half a million people have taken this assessment, Jim. It's Amazing. very quick, gives you some insights into where you're at as a couple and some strengths and maybe some areas to grow in as individuals in the relationship. All of that is going to be at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or call us for details, 800, the letter A, and the word family. And I'd like to invite you to partner with us financially to strengthen and rescue more marriages today. When you make a monthly pledge to focus on the family, you empower us to reach more families and spread this good news message to more and more couples who need to hear it. Working together, we can change the divorce statistics in our culture today and help families thrive, and hopefully to help them thrive in Christ. So please make a monthly pledge or send a one-time gift to join our marriage building team. And let me say thank you in advance for your generous support of Focus on the Family. We really do appreciate your prayers and your giving. Donate today when you call 800, the letter A and the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.